The Game Schooler podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that educates new and experienced gamers about the awesomeness of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Disney Animated, our Game of the Week, discuss whether mechanisms can become outdated in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with our high five junior versions of games. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, the esteemed Dr. Michael What's McCabe. happening, Doug? Uh, not much. Keeping busy. How, How are, are you? you? Man, life is good. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about our Game of the Week tonight, which we'll get into in the next segment. Uh, yeah, it's good to be at headquarters, talking games, talking shop. How about you? Pretty good. I'm trying to look up the... Yeah, there you go. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. That's from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ooh. And that's how I feel right now. Life Things. moves pretty fast. Yeah. Kids growing up, getting old, or uh, gray on your beard? What what, what way everything. do you want to take the conversation? <laughs> no, a little bit of everything. <laughs> uh, school activities, um, driving everywhere. Every weeknight is consumed. Hard to find time to game. Yeah. Yes, that's the well the moral of the story. Maybe for you. Oh, okay. Well, sorry. <laughs> God, Liza, wake up. It's four in the morning, but we got to get a game in. We got to get a game in. There's too many in the queue. All right. No, I think, though, that's the one thing that I've been reflecting on over the last week. You know, there was an event that happened recently in the world called Essen. Mm. Very large board game convention. I've not heard of that. Never been. And... When I listen to coverage of it, it seems like people are working so hard to go to this convention in Germany. And I get it if that's your job. But then when there's other people that are like us, you know, that have jobs where the podcast might not be their full-time job. <laughs> other jobs. And I hear about how miserable or hard it was for them. I'm like, man, isn't the hobby supposed to be fun? Yeah. Well, what about the the good part of Essen? And I'll get to that and what's awesome with gaming. But just some of my takeaways... I've been thinking about our recent trip to Gen Con and just how much fun we did have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I hope that if I, I hope that on our podcast I don't get into a mode where I'm only complaining about the exhibit hall and the layout of certain vendors and how it made <laughs> our life difficult. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, didn't mean to go there, but I went there. Do we have to t a contest to talk about? Well, yeah, we've Is got that some follow-up. All right, all right. Um last week we gave away a copy of Shake That City from AEG. Our fine folk friends over there, fine folks that are also our friends, um, offered to to give away a couple of copies of that for us. And so we gave away a copy last week, and then there was uh, a copy that we're giving away this week. Yep. And that is for all of the uh, North American members of our Discord server. Uh, if you're not familiar with our Discord, that is a uh, combination of a group text and a forum. Um my Michael's giving me a puzzled look. That's almost exactly what it is, um, in which we got a, a bunch of cool people over there that, that talk about games and everything, game schooling. And Doug and I are there. Yeah, yeah. So we pop in every once in a while. And uh, this week, we are giving away uh, another copy of Shake That City to AE, uh, from AEG. And this week's winner 
is Annabelle B. Yeah, so congratulations, will, Annabelle. Yeah, we will get some uh, details from you on where to send that copy, so congratulations. Um, well, hopefully in the future we've got some more stuff. Yeah, to we love. that's one of my favorite things of the show is giving away games. Yeah. Right? You know, everybody's... Everybody has a budget, and some people's budget might look different than others, but when you get a free game in the mail, that's pretty cool, yeah. right? What yes. a good feeling. So um, thank you to Vlad and our friends over at AEG for sponsoring that. And Yeah. Uh, another follow-up thing is, I don't know about you, but after we did our, our top 10 last week, I am really anxious to play older games. Yeah. And just stuff that's been, you know, whether it's older or things that have been on the shelf more than three months. It's like, oh, I gotta go back and play that one. Ooh, I want to play yeah. that one again. Do you have any that, examples, fresh top of mind? Uh, my entire collection. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just a- anything that's like, oh, I don't have to do a full rules refresh. Or, um, I sometimes I think we take for granted as as gamers just the idea of how much experience you get from one playthrough. Yep. And taking that forward into the second play, even if that second play is three months later. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, you got to read, reread the setup, make sure there's nothing there. But a lot of times just that um, does have a little bit of that ride, riding a bike type of feel to it sometimes. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm going to jump in on your follow-up with a little bit of that. I had a couple trades that came through in the last week, and one of them was for episode 93, Kingsburg was our game of the week. I, I got that in a trade and so it was really nice to get that out of the box. It came with the expansion. It's like, oh, I can't wait to play it uh, with some other older games, you know, that are 10, 11, 12 years old that I haven't actually played. Yeah. Uh, Fleet the Dice Game. Andrew and Anitra talk about it constantly. And the, the same people that designed that also designed a game called uh, Motor City. And so, um, you know, I've heard about this game a lot, but I haven't actually played Fleet. Yeah. And so I, I got that in the trade with Kingsburg and just. I got that new game feel in games that are older, yeah. right? And uh, not and when the hobby goes so much about new, 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 it's nice to be able to look back at one that's 15 and 10 and five years old and be like, yes, time to play this again. Well, and I know we've talked in the past the idea of like those exception or fiddly rules and stuff like that. And um, those games, the ones that, don't have those are seem to be the ones that stick around in my collection, Interesting. which do make it easier to then get them back to the table. Even if it's been a three or six month gap, you're like, okay, yeah, th- this is pretty basic. And, you know, I don't want to say basic. That's maybe the wrong term. The idea that it's just a straightforward. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that thing was like, oh, but always remember that if you're taking three tokens of this, then you have to pay an extra coin back in or, or something like those type of weird things that are really easy to forget, the easy to forget rules. Um, and it, it makes me, you know, certainly something we do when we evaluate games here is like, what are those games that are easier to get back to the table yeah. after a pause? Um, and I find that a lot of the games that tend to stick around in my collection have that feature in there. Um, and the ones that I'm like, uh, this seem like kind of work to remember and keep everything on pace. Those are the ones that seem to end up on for sale and trade piles. So so what did you do this week? Did you just pace around in the basement just marking things off? You're, I'm going to play this one first. <laughs> I'm going to get to that one second. Or? No, it's more of a, a blankly longing mm. at a shelf and just thinking, hmm, 
a small smile. That'd be nice to play someday. It's like, <laughs> like an old man on a porch. Remember when we used to play? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it is a good idea to kind of revisit those things every once in a while and <laughs> remind yourself that uh, you probably have some really awesome games sitting on the shelf and not always chasing after that, that new, new, new. Um, which brings me to my next point, which you, you briefly touched on about what's awesome in gaming. And that's, uh, the, the spiel in Essen, all the new games, all the new games. <laughs> um, and it was, I, I kind of have two simultaneous, we briefly chatted about this off air, but I've got two viewpoints that I'm simultaneously balancing in my head. One is I've watched some of the coverage and have listened to some podcast stuff and I, I feel bad for people just getting in the hobby because I am in the hobby and I have been in the hobby and I am completely overwhelmed by the amount of games and stuff coming There's out. There's a lot. And it's just like stuff that came out that was brand new at Gen Con feels like it's 40 years old and who would touch that with a 10 foot pole? It's gone and it's always on to the new and the new is stuff that we may not get until three or four months from now, it'll come to the United States or... Uh, or next Gen Con. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so it's like that, the amount of uh, overhead, the, you know, the stuff that you have to keep in your overhead compartment of your brain to kind of keep all this stuff straight is daunting for for me, you know? And so what does that look like to to a new gamer or a casual gamer? And... Maybe they're not even invested in, in in caring about what's happening at Essen, but just the oh man, this is great! You gotta try it! You gotta try it! And then it's like two weeks later, that's no longer great. You gotta yeah. try this new thing, and it's you know it, oh well, you gotta keep track of what's new, what just came out, what's being reprinted, what's the same game as another one, but just got a name change or an art facelift. Came out five years ago, didn't do so great, but now they're putting a new coat of paint on it, like. All the different avenues of types of games and really, oh, this is an expansion for a different game, so it's not a full game. This one's coming to Kickstarter, so don't worry about that right now. And when it comes to Kickstarter, that's coming to Kickstarter in two months, but the release of the game won't come until a year and a half later. Like, hopefully I'm creating the mountain effect of, of avalanche of information that's out there. So before you juxtapose that with yeah. something else, I just had an image of you at a Culver's or any type of restaurant. Enter name of um, fast comfort food restaurant here where there's the soda machines where the multiple spouts are lined up <laughs> alongside each other. So not the 2023 where I have a digital screen and I can select from 220 yeah. different combinations. No, the kind where there's 12 right alongside yeah. each other and you put your drink under one, you push the button in and it goes, right? You yeah. with me? I'm following. I feel like you are trying to drink from all of those at once based yeah. on what you just said. Yeah, it's it's like, I think I'm going to get a, a quick little sip from this fire hose. <laughs> and it's just going to blow your face off. Like, that's how I feel. Like, just bombarded with... Um, information and yeah, and hype, right? Yeah, but is it is it you or is it is it that you're trying to drink all of the soda at once or pop, depending on what part of the Midwestern United States you're listening to us? No, maybe maybe, or, maybe a better example is 
I need a small sip of water yeah. and the fire hose is there and I'm trying to maneuver how I'm going to get a drink of this without getting my entire outfit wet. So it's more of like, where do I go? Where do I, where's my opening? How do mm -hmm. I get in here? And everywhere I go just seems to be too much. Yeah. Um, and, and trying to weed that out. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to be, be negative. Um, that's not the point. It's, it's more of the idea of like, there is just a lot of stuff out there and it's so hard yeah. to wade through it even, even for us. Oh yeah. So. And then what's awesome? You were, the, you were... the, the awesome part was I was inspired by a brief conversation on the latest Dice Tower uh, episode of the, their podcast. And this was before they had gone to Essen. But they were talking about um, over in Europe that there are people that go to uh, Essen and buy all of their games for the entire year. Mm -hmm. And they will not buy more games until they go back to Essen the next year, which is really intriguing to me if, if if that's that is an awesome way to potentially get off of that hype train um and avoid all of that that noise and chaos that i'm talking about yeah um so our, our listeners who keep close score at home will i want i love that i agree with you and sorry to interrupt but i'm going to interrupt here but our listeners will know that I said that idea when we came back from Gen Con. Oh, it's a terrible idea. Then. <laughs> you completely laughed at me and said I that you didn't believe that I could wait a whole year before getting more games no, and no, completely poo-pooed it. I agree. But now no. it's a good idea because Tom Vassell said that people it's, it's in Europe European do this. Told me. So, so no. now I think, okay, Here. that's a great idea. Michael's idea, trash. No, he <laughs> won't be able to do it. No, but that, there, the, there the you go. idea, that's, I really like That's it. the difference. You highlighted the difference there. I think it's a great idea. I think it's physically impossible for you to do it. <laughs> the idea, the bad part of the idea is you thinking that you could do it. Two months from, I haven't bought a game. Um, two, two months. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's talk next October. See how we're doing. Um, so no, it, that is a great concept, though, isn't it? Of I'm going to get these games for the year, and and what does that constraint do? Yeah, this is the time. This is the space. This is the money that I have to play games. Yeah. And I'm going to go through, I'll keep some of them, I'll sell or trade some of them, and I'll go back and do it again next year. Well, and if you went into Essen, I mean, imagine going into Essen having no idea what the the hotness or what the greatest new game is. Like, you're not you're not chasing that down. You're just going into a booth, and, and somebody can talk to you about a game that came out six months ago that that everybody in the board game industry has been like, yeah, that's old news. Like, are, been there, done that. And you're getting it with fresh eyes. It's like, hey, that sounds great. Oh, and by the way, it's $20 off now because it's been there, done that from six months ago. Yeah. Um, and it's it's brand new to you. Like, I just love that concept of, of, of going into a convention and being completely unaware of what's coming out. And the idea of being excited about a game that that people have dismissed is like, oh, that's not good. That's not this. And it's like, well, maybe it works for you. Maybe it worked, you know, right. there's a reason that you're excited about it, which is cool. Um, you know, so there's, a, you know, I mean, anytime you're talking about Essen, it brings back ideas of Gen Con and, and, and other conventions that you and I have gone to and just like, yeah, those are fun. I want to get back to one and things like that. Um, they are fun. So there's a lot of awesome and, and different things around 
yeah. such a, a gigantic topic. Yeah. That's cool. What do you have for what's awesome with gaming? Or was that? That, that is. That, okay. Well, I have two things to <laughs> add in. One, I got a play in on Saturday morning of Splendor Duel with my 11-year-old. And it was awesome. Because uh, Maggie and I don't play a ton of games together. Usually we will as a group or if the family's getting together to play. But it was Saturday morning. The rest of the house was empty. What do you want to do? Want to play a game? She had not played Splendor Duel. And what a great game. Yeah. You know, we And we talked about Splendor back in episode 23. Uh, the Splendor Duel is just the two-player version. I know we've talked about it on some some different episodes. but. There's three different win conditions in that, and I thought, okay, I'm going to win in three turns. I'm going to win in two turns. I'm going to win on this next turn, and then I got beat. <laughs> and boy, and it was the whole weekend. We just a nice little banter with the family, you know, back and forth, and and so that was a lot of fun. And then also the game Chicken. I, mm. I played that with my seven year old a ton this week. Yeah, it was no. You got to get ready for bed. Five minutes. Play one game of chicken, <laughs> and, uh, and and we did. And that's a Scott Albums game from from Keymaster, and we've also talked about that. Uh, and, and that just got me thinking about you know you mentioned the the Godfather of the Dice Tower Network, Tom Vassell earlier. Yeah, he hates that game. Yeah, he has openly criticized that game. And tonight, when I was leaving the house, and Liza asked if chicken was going to be a recommended game. And I said, no, but I could talk about it in the in the opening segment. Did yeah. you have fun playing it? Yeah, yeah, it was so fun. Uh, but you're just rolling your dice, and you're either hatching chicken or hatching foxes. If you get three foxes, you bust, and you don't get any points. At the end of your turn, after just one reroll, whatever chicken are there, you score points. First one to 25 wins. And exact same thing, Sunday night, you know, the night after playing Splendor Duel, and uh, I was – started to talk a little trash because I was up 22 <laughs> to 18. I'm going to win. And then I roll two. And now it's 24, and I hand back the dice to Liza, 18. And she scored seven on her final turn. And she counted them all out one chicken at a time <laughs> looking at me. Now I'm up to 19. Now I'm up to 20. And then when she got right by me, oh, and there I passed dad to get the win at 25. <laughs> and it was just fun, yeah. you know, so to have those games. Uh, and those are two recent games, right? One just came out this year. Another one, Splinter Duel, came out within the last few years. Um, that, that That's really awesome. Well, and it's a reminder that it's about the experience. Yeah. Right? Having <laughs> fun and the experience, which often gets lost in the the review and the consume culture of, and the grind of keeping up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah. gosh, I feel so bad for, for people that have to try and keep up with all the games coming out at Essen, but, and then it's like, you mean you, the people who do this professionally. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. the, the, you know, they got to figure out a way to differentiate games. And it's like, yeah. well, this one is not good because of that. And this one is great because of this. And it's like, you realize those are the exact same thing, right? Yeah. You just give one, one a negative and one a positive from the for the exact same purpose. And I think that gets lost in the idea of sitting around the table, having fun, whether that's intellectually or laughing and, and just chucking dice and see where they land, you yep. know? Uh, so that's cool. Thanks for sharing those. Um, let's see what else is going on. Uh, you can sign up for the Discord by going to gameschooler.com slash Discord. Um, it's a great community, and we've had a lot of fun and, and interesting conversations there. There is some conver uh, talk about a 
uh, a misreading of a post. Somebody thought that there was an Axis and Allies version of of D and D, or vice versa, uh, and and just some funny. I didn't say that. No, no, okay. no it's just other folks in there, and uh, there's some some fun stories of. Um, I know uh, Stefan had, had posted something along the lines. That there's like a little bit of a backstory of what was going on and, and the story that they made up around the game. Yeah. And so there's been some some stories of that um, shared over on the Discord. So join that. Uh, it's a really great community, gameschooler.com slash Discord. Spread the word about the podcast if you like what we're doing. Um, and if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at email at gameschooler.com. With that out of the way, let's move on to the game of the week. The game of the week. The game of the week is an in-depth look at a family-friendly game we think you should try if you get the chance. This week's game is absolutely awesome, and it is Disney animated. Doug, give us the stats. Yes, published in 2023 by Funko Games. The designer is the group called Prospero Hall. Uh, We've recommended some of their other games, such as uh, villainous and horrified universal monsters back to the future yes two to four players 40 to 80 minutes uh the box says 10 plus board game geek might have it right here with 12 plus but there's only two votes in that and i'm one of the votes and i also voted at 10 plus so i digress <laughs> okay. i'll send it over to you i think it's a 12 okay um I, th- I think if let's see if I can vote for a second time to bump it down to ten. Go ahead. What are you <laughs> no, well, I'm, might yeah. as well hit it while we're here. I'm thinking that this is a. I feel like this is a game that if you have a ten year old, you um probably going to be running a lot of stuff for them. That yeah. would be my only thing. I thought because of the cooperative nature mm-hmm. and and the family friendly content of it being a Disney game that a 10-year-old can play right alongside and and have a lot of fun, even if they have some significant help from older yeah. sibling, friend, cousin, uh, parent, you yeah. know, and uncle. Uh, but in terms of skill development and replayability, and we'll get into some of those things. Sure, it trends more towards t- 12, but probably even 14, because a game can take up to an hour. Yeah, it's... Uh... It straddles that line that you could... We jumped right in the deep end of the pool with that. That's good. Uh, you could go that low with with hand-holding, and you can you know yep. scale it up from there. Ten, certainly the floor, but you're going to be um, doing some extra lifting there, I think, on that point. For most 10-year-old kiddos. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is going to fall into the, the light hobby game category for us. So um, this is not one that that we think uh, the publisher may disagree with us and um, you know, the, the subject matter may be lend itself to a different way. But after playing this game, I think we're, we're pretty confident in the idea that there's a, a light hobby game. This is not something you're just going to, uh, a group of non gamers are going to pull off the shelf and just dive into. Um, you're going to have to have somebody that's familiar with, with gaming. And that's not to say that they can't guide non gamers to it. Right. But there is some, and Doug, let's just Shuffling we haven't hit our criteria a whole lot outside because we've really been doing family games, family sure. games, family games. So our we have kids games at the the lowest entry point. Those which, are, yep, yep, which has got a maximum age. Yep, they have a maximum. There's a ceiling on those, and then we get into the family games, which are approachable. You can get them off the shelf, learn the rules, 
whether you're gamers or non-gamers, sit down, play, and have a good time. And then the next scale up, we we call a light hobby, which yeah. uh, other games that are in that light hobby um, would be like a Quacks of Quedlinburg is is in a light hobby area. Man, you're good at this, Doug. Um, this is unrehearsed. Good to send it to you like that. <laughs> yeah, and but not quite as deep. I mean, it's similar to Horrified and some of the other games that that this company has yeah. designed. Yeah, yeah. If we were we if we were to rewind, even though Villainous is on the shelf at Target, we would classify that in in the light hobby. Yeah, light hobby realm, and then. Um, in our scale, then after that, we've got hobby games. Which Straight is, to hobby. You know, yep. it's probably going to have Wingspan in there. Wingspan, which a Tapestry, lot of Lost Ruins of Arnak. Are yeah. not going to agree with that, but that's, that's us. That's it's our podcast. Yeah. All right. We, we can do that. So let's talk about this awesome light hobby game and a cooperative game that just plays so well. Great replayability. Uh, I, l- talk to our listeners about what you're doing in Disney Animated, and but I don't, I haven't gotten into this in a while. But for a game that MSRP thirty four ninety nine, there is a ton of replayability yep. in the box. So you're going to be working together uh, in Disney Animated, like the team at the famous Walt Disney Animation Studios, to create movie magic. In the game, each player attempts to complete one of five classic Disney films using detailed background art, vibrant paint colors, and lively sound to bring cherished stories to life on the screen. But the villains from these feature films will rush your deadlines and create all the calamity they can. As a team, you must use the strengths of the animation studio, heart, focus, inspiration, grit, and teamwork to vanquish the villains and finish your films on time. At the start of the game, you're going to pick one out of five movies. There is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Fantasia, Alice in Wonderland, 101 Dalmatians, and Aladdin in the box. So you are going to take one of those movies. Each player is going to take a movie, and you're going to get this little box in that box, and you're going to get a player board and a, a kind of a, a summary uh, uh, rules reference uh, board as well. You're going to have those in front of you. You are trying to... Um, place background tiles into your your grayed out player board. So as you uh, create backgrounds, you're putting in kind of polyomino shape thing uh, tiles to fill up your board. It starts as as black and white. You're filling it in with these colored kind of puzzle pieces. Once you do that with the paint that you've acquired, you can paint your character cell cards, and they're really awesome. They're they're clear with the painted on. They look just like yeah. animation cells. So you've got every person's got three characters to place on the board. You can't play the character out until you uh, complete the background. So you play, pay paint token tokens, and then put your characters out. They give you special abilities. Then the last thing that you need to do is you need to paint the villain, which is going to require some sort of prerequisite. Now the tricky part of this game is that. Uh, every character in film or every film and every player is going to have kind of a different special power and thing that they're trying to do. So, for example, Snow White has the seven dwarf tokens that she needs to to give out. Yep. The, the 101 Dalmatians um, movie is passing out canine crunchies that have an ability. The genie has an ability. Um, so you're trying to get that kind of objective. You need to have your background, all three characters, the paints and some of the animation cards to complete your villain. If you do, your movie is complete. As long as every player completes their movie by the time the deadline rolls around, you win. However, 
the villains are causing chaos while the calamity. game is going in. So there are these calamity cards that are giving you certain kind of side quests and objectives that you need to complete. It may be a, a paint that you need to sacrifice in order to, to get a calamity to go away. You may need to take an action in a certain spot. Um, you may need to play an animation card. So you're, you can do different things to limit this calamity. However, any calamity that's left that you don't take care of has a special ability uh, or, or uh, disadvantage based on the villain that you're you're playing. And these villains are going to kind of cycle through as the game goes on. That's what you're doing. However, how are you, you know, completing these objectives? You're doing that by taking actions. On the main animation board or the studio board, there are, are four different sections. There is an animation deck, which gives you cards. You can use cards to Puts activate cards special right abilities. Um, you, you're going to need them to complete your villain. They help with calamity, all that type of thing. There's all the ink and paint that you can draw. You're going to be paying um, stuff for that. And then there's a rotating villain that you're going to be dealing with every round. Below that are action tiles. Those action tiles give you the ability to draw animation cards, to fill in your background, to get ink and paint, and sound, which the sound action is going to be those special abilities, putting out seven dwarves, Canine crunchies, that type of thing. There's also one special tile that's called the a magic tile, which is essentially a wild one as long as you have an action tile uh, token to spend in order to do it. But these are on a track, each with a number next to them. The number signifies how powerful that action is going to be. So the higher the number, the more powerful the action is. So if I take a background action and the number is five, it's going to be more powerful than if it is a one. I'm going to be placing more of those tiles out. Once I play, play that action, that's going all the way back down to the one and everything else is sliding up. So that really powerful action is going to be uh, weaker the next time somebody takes it unless they wait for it all the you know to get all the way up to the five. Yeah, and the gamer shorthand, just to jump in here briefly, if people have played Arc Nova, it's that similar structure as the actions are moving through and get closer to that five in Disney animated. They're much more powerful, and then after the five, they reset and go back down to the one spot. Yep, so you're doing that. You're taking those actions, and again, like uh, the... Um what was the, which one did you do? Fantasia. I've played a few of them. Yep, yeah, I've the done Fantasia, Fantasia. The last one, you can put tokens down, and so then those cards, you can spend those those music tokens to not move a card. Right. Um, the Seven Dwarves tokens can allow you to boost the the number of the actions. So even though it's a It's almost a like having an extra action, worker. Yeah. yeah. And Aladdin, a, go ahead. Sorry. Even though it's a three action, you could spend two or three of the dwarves in order to make that into a six action or or something like that. Aladdin does, or the genie. I don't know. I lost my train of thought, but go ahead. Um, I just know the first time I played, I played with the genie and was also extremely uh, thematic with whatever the genie was doing. I'll track that <laughs> yeah. down and get back to you. Yes. The, the canine crunchies uh, are basically wild paints. Um, and then I don't remember what Alice does. Um Anyway, they all have special abilities, and they're they're really cool. Um, it is one of the things that can make this a little tricky is that you have to learn. They're you know, asynchronous, yeah. You know what your um, your powers and your actions and what you're trying to do. Or variable and, abilities, I should yeah, say. Yeah, and, and every character you complete gives you access to a new ability. You get to use it for free, but then you can spend animation cards in order to do that. Um, so 
that that that's enough of a description. Right? Oh yeah, you just broke down the whole game. What what do you like about this game, Doug? I mean, I think it's unique in in the idea of being an asynchronous co-op experience. Uh, there's not a lot of that that around where you're kind of chasing your own objectives while also trying to chase the uh, objectives of the group. Um, I do like that. Um, however, I'm going to throw out the the one thing to be aware of right here and, and get it out of the way is that this is one that that min-maxing oh, gosh. will take That's the fun out of this oh, game. Oh, yeah. Um, and the same with alpha gaming. And it's... You, it's going to feel like you're walking by Azkaban. I mean, all of a sudden, you you could be having fun, and then if somebody just tells you the math of what you should do, it will suck the joy right out of the room and table. Yeah. So I think that's something to be aware of. If you are going into this game, and I think the asynchronous part is what can kind of lead to this, where if you're playing the game, things like, I got to get my stuff done, I got to get my stuff done, and not thinking about the team, Yep. A, it's not going to be fun for everybody else. And it's going to um, make it more difficult. Well, and and B, you're not going to get done any faster as a group because you will be done at the end. Your board will be entirely filled in. Your character will be taken off the table. And the other one to three people sitting at the table are not going to be completely done. The way What I really like about this cooperative game is one person will kind of finish ahead possibly than other people at the table but then they are still required to be a helper. It does yeah. a great job of kind of a leader followership role uh, from other cooperatives because each person is working on the same structure but different objectives. So yeah. you're trying to fill in your sheet, flip it over to the other side, do kind of a, a I don't want to say a boss battle, but an end of action that's pretty awesome. And guess what? You're going to need help to get that done. Yeah. Whether you're the first one done or the last one done, this cooperative truly has cooperation at the heart of it. Um, and then I'm going to try to connect that before I send it back to you, just with Aladdin. The genie, their song is called Friend Like Me, which provides a powerful bonus. You you give two players one of three extra actions. Mm. And so that Aladdin character, the first time I played it, I really could see early on like, okay, I'm the assistant coach here. I'm I'm gonna just set up and distribute. Yeah, and that was very different from the last time where I was playing as Fantasia and kind of just running through and getting to the end first, so that I could then backfill and help other people out. So just that that variability of not every character plays the same, but the structure of the game is the same. Um, you know, with this same design team, I think did for hobby gamers and villainous they've really done here at that light hobby uh a more approachable way yeah and i think after um three i don't know three or four playthroughs the one thing that is standing out to me that that is really interesting is that there is an order there is an order on how you want to complete it of course everybody wants to fill in their background so they can get get their characters in uh so it's almost like all right well i need to go Background, um, ink, cards. Those are finish. three different actions. Yeah, and 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 you can't, you know, if I take the the background because I want to fill in my background, the background shoots all the way back down to one. Yep. And so Michael's not going to get good value out of that. However, there is this cool thing where, oh, well, maybe now the ink is at five. It's like I don't need the ink right now. 
but I can get a lot of stuff and then I'm done. I don't need to yeah. worry about that. So the shuffling of those actions, I think is really cool the way that it's done, but it took me a little bit to get used to it. And the idea of, and kind of separate myself out from, Oh, I got to get this. I got to get it in this order because I can't do that until I do that. And, and it became clear the last game that we played where it was like, no, sitting on a lot of these extra resources that I'm going to need later is really valuable. And then, and then seeing yeah. people get towards the end and like, I can't get the cards I need. It's like, oh, I've had these cards the whole time. Like, I never had to worry about that. Yep. Um, so the way that the actions work and the player interaction amongst that, I mean, one of the, the greatest uh, skills that does not come up very often, I think this may be the first game that I've ever put it on, is the collaboration, yeah. um, a game that challenges players to work together to produce or create something new. You get that immersion and feel like, I'm making this movie. I got to get the background done. I got to get my characters in there. I got to paint. I got to, you know, all of those things. Um, and Doug, it's almost a, a, a tactical collaboration because if somebody is trying to be too strategic, yes, one of those actions might not be in the spot where you thought that it should be. Because yeah. somebody else took an action because it was their turn and yeah. they wanted to. And all of a sudden, this perfect turn that I thought that I was going to have in two turns from now is completely different. And, and if you, when I approach this game with a mindset of, I'm going to have fun playing this game with people at the table, I'm not so much competing against the game. It, it's a different type of cooperative. This is yeah. not pandemic where we are saving the world from a virus or even horrified where we are saving the village from monsters. This is a, oh, I've got to meet this deadline, but the only way I'm going to meet this deadline is if I work with other people. What's that sound like? Sounds like the real world. It's yeah. like fun, a fun day of work. Yeah. So, Yeah. It's like, well, you need to get this done. Like, and I think that's the, there's a, the, the best parts of this game come out when it's the start of a new round and everybody's looking around, and it's that first player's turn, and they're thinking, well, if, if you play it, and you're just like, well, this is best for me. I'm going to take it, and that's what I'm doing. Everybody else make... But the best experience I've had is when people stop and say, what are you thinking about doing yeah. this turn? What are you thinking about doing this turn? And then people being flexible and, and moving and saying, well, I could do this, but... If I don't do that, I can leave this open for you. And those that collaboration, that group discussion, that... N- comes across as genuine without the idea of like, well, Michael, I'm going to take this action. You take that. And will you take that one? And then we'll be fine. Let's move on to the next round. And then when we get to my next round, I'm going to be optimized to take the actions that I want to take because the first player is always the first player. Yeah. And that is, I don't want to say unique because that, but it's unique to a lot of the cooperatives that we've played in review lately. But what it does, I've gotten to play this game as the first, second, and last player. And it really is different. Yeah. The 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 board, the action selection, how I communicate, what I'm able to do to contribute to the team. If I'm in that last player role, I might be able to clear up a bunch of those calamities. And yeah. when people see that, okay, that guy is committed to clearing up the calamities so that our deadline track isn't shooting up higher. I'm going to get free stuff when I need free stuff. Yeah. Uh, versus the first player is what you were just talking about of, I need to sit back and set this up for everybody at the table. Not tell people what I'm going to do, but work with people and kind of strategize about, here's what I think is best for us. And it's very unique 
yeah. um, uh, playings of the game of if you're first in the middle two or, or last. I, I think that's a, probably the best word for this game is unique. Yeah. I've not played a game that a, a cooperative game like this, um, and, and it so easily could have been uh, a competitive game. Yeah. Right, the first person to get done, or you're you're managing your own player boards, and and quite frankly, even if it was even if you modified it so everybody had their own studio board, we did talk about that. <laughs> w- would would also make it a really cool game that yeah. I would be interested in. Um, you mentioned earlier the the production, the artwork for the cost of the oh, game, fantastic is is awesome. Yeah, um, one of the best produced games I've seen in a while with. With the artwork and the components, the way everything fits together. Well, under fifty dollars, significantly under fifty dollars. Yeah. Uh, I interrupted you again. Go ahead. No, I was just excited. Each person gets a tuck box, and inside yeah. your tuck box are your own little pieces of bits. So you see kids open it up and throw it out on the table, be like, "Oh, what am I working with? Look at this character." I think you know it says volume one on the side of the box. I, and so when I was researching for this episode this week, and I got on on Board Game Geek to look. Sure enough, what do people do as soon as you get on board Game Geek and get into a forum? And and, and I had a wondering, well, are there more expansions coming out? You got people from all over the world telling Funko what the next five should be. Because <laughs> what do gamers do? We put things into lists, people. Yeah. And I thought, oh, of course. But I think this is one that could have a four or five volume set and play really well. And then when you look at this design team, what they're able to do... Who's to say that there's not going to be a competitive module that's added down the line or yeah. where you're playing as the villains trying to push the deadline out? There's just so many different ways that the game could go. The way that it's designed, if this is all that there ever is with these five different characters and it plays two to four players at 20 minutes per player, it's an awesome game. Yeah, I, I, I It really is. Yeah, uh, and a great skill builder, right? I mean, it's got. we talked about the collaboration uh, you talked about some of the tactical thinking. We talked about group discussion. There's problem solving in this game. There's risk management in this game. Well, how about the processing information, man? Yeah. And how you have to verbally do it. C- couple that with the logistics of here's where we want to get to. How are we yep. going to get there? Like the real world application of skills of working in business yeah. on this game. Yeah. You know, managing creative and yeah. and um, and fiscal, like all of that type of stuff is really well done and represented in this game. Um, I think it's the best fit on a family game night, um, you know, or, or a game night type of setting. It's not something that's going to be used in a classroom, um, maybe a library, but again, that, that light hobby starts to push it into. Yeah. And the time it is 20 minutes per player. Anytime you see 40 to 80 minutes and it's that specific for two to four players. And it is that. Our yeah. two-player games have been 40 minutes. Our three-player games have been about an hour. Yeah. And so that just pushes it out of that schoolhouse area, you know. But similar, I said last week when we talked about Starry Night Sky that I really enjoyed the wait time or downtime. And it got me thinking, with Disney Animated, I also enjoy the off-turn time. When it's not my turn, the cooperative nature of the game and the fact that I could be able to contribute to that person's storyline, I could, I could, you know, trades or my ability, their ability, I don't really feel like there is wait time. Yeah. And, and so that 40 minutes up to an hour 
it's a really good investment of time. I don't find myself wandering or what's going on in the game over there. What do I need to do next? I was fully engaged in every play. Well, even the even the idea of like, okay, I'm, I'm, maybe my action's not going to be the greatest this turn, but there's several times during the game where it's like, oh, my action's not great, but I get to give Michael a whole bunch of stuff. I get to give Emily a whole bunch yep. of stuff. Like I've just set up the whole table and I got rid of two calamities. It's like so you that feels good, right? Yeah, yeah. That the, the, the helpful nature, you know, you know, comparing it to something like pandemic is like. Great, I cleared out all the disease in there and, and nobody needs to go over there. This is like, I'm giving you special abilities. I'm giving you special abilities. I'm going to make it so you don't have to do as much on your next turn. And then in turn, you because you, you know, that burden's been lifted from you, you're able to help me more on my turn. So it has a lot of really cool cooperative elements that are not in other games. And Funko Games and, and Prospero Hall knocked it out of the park. Uh, anything else that we want to highlight on this? Nope, that's it. I mean, this is a, a quality game. I look forward to seeing, you know, hopefully those expansions and, and different modules come down the line. Um, but certainly a, a a great game of the week for us and an awesome cooperative experience that is Disney animated by Funko Games. The School of... Gaming! In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming. This week, can mechanisms become outdated? I don't know. <laughs> this, is a, this is an interesting uh, segment. We'll see how it goes. It, it could be a, a disaster, but I think there is some interesting concepts here. Um, for reference, Board Game Geek has over 190 mechanisms Listed in its. Did database. you say 190 million mechanisms? <laughs> Just 190. Oh, 190. Just okay. 190. Still a lot. Still way more than I thought. Half of them are auction mechanisms. Yeah. Different ways to run an auction. <laughs> um, but I mean, I th- I think <sighs> I think when you talk about this, or you you ask somebody that question, can mechanisms become outdated? I'm assuming that the initial reaction would be something like roll and move, right? The concept of rolling and moving outdated you're not going to see it except thunder road vendetta which yeah. is one of the up for game of the year nominations that people have loved is a roll and move game but yeah yeah i'm not but, trying to push back on you but yeah no, yeah but yeah. isn't don't you think that that would be the first thing that's like oh the idea of like oh you roll a dice see what happens yeah or forward. the pop from trouble it's yeah a very similar mechanism stuff just that's out of your control delivery. i mean i would yeah. i certainly make the you know, and I, I wrote immediately after it, I put Ghost Fight and Treasure Hunters has roll and move. Camel Up has <laughs> roll and move. So it's certainly in there. Um, another one that I think is probably, and, and I think here's the thing. I, I don't necessarily think that that they become outdated. Uh, they become modified, right? Or, or evolve with the times. Uh, another mechanism that is not too common anymore is player elimination. Um Unless it's a short, short game, you know, if we're going to play a five minute game, there's player elimination, fine. Uh, but it's not something that you see where, where a player is eliminated. Oh, and by the way, the game is going on for another 30 minutes. So sit quietly in the corner and wait. Um, Which growing up, I mean, the games of my youth, that, that happened. That happened. It oh, did. Yeah. Um, so things kind of evolve. Um, and one of the things that, you know, going back to the roll and move, a way that it's involved is something like Luxor. 
And we talked about that. And that's where your movement, you're selecting from a, a, a group of cards, but you have to take from either side, you know? And so it, it, it's giving you a little bit of control, but it's essentially the same type of, of thing. You're moving yeah. a number of spaces. And for our listeners who, I'm not going to say are newer, but are within two years newer, that was back in episode 35. Luxor was our game of the week. That's from our good friend, Rudy Dorn, right? Rudiger yeah. Dorn. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's, that's a, a great example of a mechanism that does evolve. Great game. That was a good segment. So, so, so I guess the question is: Do do mechanisms show their age, or do they simply evolve? Now that's a much better question because the question that was initially framed: Can mechanisms become outdated? I had no, but do mechanisms show their age? Absolutely. Um, I think sometimes some of the simpler mechanisms almost become just movements where they're not a full-blown mechanism that a, a game can be built around, but they're a, a movement within a game. Um, and, and I think you've drawn some really good examples for that, um, especially with the player elimination. That's not a popular mechanism. That does seem to be one that is fairly outdated. Yeah, but has evolved into the where it's being put into the game. Sure. Right. You're and, eliminated from the round. You get to come back in, right? Yeah. Or, yeah, it's, or yeah. it's a 10 minute game. Or fire and, tower where, yeah, you've been eliminated, but you can now be the spoiler. So yeah. go ahead and, and you win if everyone else loses. Yeah. Well, yeah. a good example of that is, is deck building. I think, you know, it starts out with, with dominion and is very kind of a rudimentary game. It's the, the entire game is built upon deck building there's not much of a theme and you're essentially doing these actions and, and, and building up your deck, which then evolved into time, kind of co-op stuff with, with the um, legendary Marvel and, and things like that, which then has now gone into clank and um, the quest for Eldorado where you're throwing a board in there. And now you're advancing into other games uh, like first in flight where it's becoming a, or, or lost ruins of Arnak, where it's a small part of the game, as opposed to uh, dominion is entirely deck building one mechanism. And I think those mechanisms then evolve into being a part of a larger game. They're, they're throwing it in there. Now, that being said, I mean, you can add too many mechanisms to a game. Oh yeah. But it's a it's an interesting idea of like okay we're taking that basic concept of deck building, but we're doing it on a smaller scale or a larger scale. We're adding a board in. We're doing this, and so the thing gets tweaked. That if um, if somebody just came out with a straight deck building game similar to Dominion right now, I, I, that would be brutal, right? I don't know. I don't know, and here, here's, and, and I'm not trying to be slick or push back or take the opposite side. I talked at the top end of the show a game that I've been having a ton of fun in my house with involves rolling dice. If it, if there's an egg on the dice, it brings in another die. If there's three foxes, you're out. If somebody were to describe that game to me six months ago, I'd say, uh, I don't know. But then. You know, it's kind of pretty. Keymaster did the production. Oh, it's actually a little slick. So the mechanism of rolling dice and I'm pushing my luck. I, there's one decision in the game. I'm enjoying it. Might not be enough for it to be a game of the week, but I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So that's I'm really struggling with, Which, and with 
push your luck has evolved into something like Quacks of Quedlinburg. Yes. Right? You know? Yes. So if you said, well, we're just going to take this Quacks of Quedlinburg part and reduce it all the way down to chicken, you'd be like, eh. And that's, but in practice. So it's hard for me to just put a mechanism on the shelf and say, no, yeah. this, this, is, this is done. You will never enjoy this again because of recent experiences with very simple games. Yeah. Um, so I... I, I don't know if they. I think they become outdated, though. I do. Yeah. But are they done? Are they? Yeah, they, they seem to evolve with the times and the tastes of of gamers. Um, certainly, there's elements of monopoly that would never show up in a game design, and then there are some things that show up all the time um, in game design. Where do you fall on the difference between a a mechanism becoming outdated or or, or being um, showing their age compared to mechanisms that you're maybe tired of. You know what I'm saying? So there's, oh, yeah, I know there, there. I there's was just that doing... level as well of, oh, geez, it seems like everybody's got a game coming out with this. And, and then it was like, all right, enough of that. I'm going to pick on deck building, but it's like, all right, we get it. Like deck yeah. building as a concept, like let's move on to something else. Um, I get tired of a theme faster than I get tired of mechanisms. So is that that's where where I'm. Mm. I don't want my bias to just jump into the whole segment there. But I, and I've shared, man, do we have to have another game with animals and yeah. with animals acting like they're humans? I'm I'm a little <laughs> bit tired of these animal games. But with mechanisms, I can play. You know, when you brought up, I, I'm a sucker for auction games. I yeah. I want to play all the mechanisms that have any type of auction, auction bidding, what type of auction. Same thing with trick taking. So I don't tire of mechanisms a, as fast as I think some others may. Yeah, I think for uh, for me, I think I enjoy most mechanisms on some level. You know, so auctions or, or certain things as a whole, maybe I'm not a huge, even real-time. Real-time games is a good example. It's like, on a whole, I'm not a huge fan of real-time games, but there are some real-time games I really like. Yeah. You know, and so I, I can't say that there's one mechanism that, that hasn't evolved or been put into a game in some capacity that I'm like, yeah, I'd never want to play with that mechanism. Um, so I don't really think I get tired of it. I do get tired of i think for me it's probably more the idea of somebody basing an entire game off of a, a single mechanism yeah um maybe more outdated like the idea of i I'm not saying that it can't work but like i think if somebody came out with just a straight deck building game now you'd have to catch lightning in a bottle like you gotta do something different than just a straight draft like you can't just have a drafting game and then hope it works out okay right you gotta have some other element to it, wouldn't you think? Or I don't know. I, I'm struggling with that one because there, there, we've just see so many different games. Um, but they're all putting a spin on it. They're all yeah, evolving yeah. it to so some level. Right? I'm thinking about a game that I heard that is a straight deck building game with 18 cards. You know, and I heard about that recently, and it was over at Essen and somebody. And, and so uh, they they do evolve. They have yeah. to. Yeah, uh, and you, maybe you a, can't come out with Dominion again. Because Dominion came out with Dominion. Yeah, it's already been done. And yeah, maybe, and maybe that's where it's where it's redundant. Um, 
it, and it, it's interesting too seeing different designers throw two or three different mechanisms together and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't like these yeah. feel disjointed or it seems like you put an extra appendage on it didn't need this extra thing um and then you wonder where you know i hear sometimes people design basically like oh i had a great idea of a of a mechanism or something and they design a whole game around it and sometimes those fall flat for me where i'm like ah, yeah but it's missing the thematic connections yeah. it's just that's a cool mechanism but if there's no reason for me to be doing it or why it makes sense it's going to fall fat, flat for me yeah um no matter how cool or innovative that concept of oh i drop this over here and that does this and explodes that like i i get why people are intrigued by that but almost becomes a a yin and a yang for me uh, on some levels so I don't know. Any other thoughts on that? Just that the idea of layering too many mechanisms on top of each other has become outdated. That Interesting. you know, yeah. we've we went through a phase in 2021 into I would say about 3 or 4 months ago where we were playing games that would have 7, 8, you would call them appendages, I yeah. would call them mechanisms, bloat mechanism layered bloat. Yeah. on top of each other. And for me, that has become outdated. Even yeah. if it's if it hits a lot of other metrics of ooh, it is a three point oh, I'm breaking. Ooh, it's been it's got an eight point three, I'm breaking. If it has four, five, six different mechanisms, meh, it's probably it's no okay. longer innovative. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, confusing. I, yeah, do we really need a worker placement <laughs> element in this this portion? Um, so yeah, I, I think there it's an interesting concept. It certainly goes and is part of the battle of mechanism versus theme and, and game design and stuff like that. So let us know what you think in the Discord server, um, whether you think mechanisms become outdated or we just get bored with them or if they continue to evolve. So that's uh, the School of Gaming. Let's move on to the high five. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to check out. And this week we're going to be talking about junior games, uh, these are games that I would describe as um, a secondary version off of a base game specifically designed for younger players. Yep. So the, the kids version of a larger, more family or hobby game. Is that the way you took this one? Yeah, I do have two on my list that don't have an adult version, but I have several different layers of justification for that. Okay. And I'm going to start right away I look forward while to I'm you. talking. Uh, all five of mine are game of the week, which I feel really good about. I had so much fun with Disney Animated, and I thought, well, what's a junior cooperative version of that? Really, a, a kids that might have a ceiling, and for me, that's outfoxed. Hmm. 2014, uh, it was a game of the week all the way back in episode 64 for us, and in outfoxed, you gather clues with your detective pals to catch that crafty fox that is trying to steal pies, right, before they leave town. And it's just a great little roll-and-move game around a, a, a little plasticky board that looks cool and has a fun toy factor. Definitely a junior game. Nobody's going to confuse this game from Game Right as a, a hobby game or a three-hour brain burner. It does lead to other cooperative games. It's a 20-minute game. You know, 15 to 20 minutes, you're done. You can play with four, five, six-year-olds. They have a good time. 
they're learning about cooperating and moving around the board and, and working through a challenge together. So that that one I could see getting some pushback because there's not into, they haven't done a hobby version yet about <laughs> Fox, but that's my my number uh, five junior game. All right. Fox. Well, since we're talking about junior games, I'm not going to push back too hard. I'm going to keep it gentle. Uh, this is like my first game schooler podcast. Um, <laughs> my little, my little well, game yeah. schooler, game schooler um, express. My number five is certainly has an age cap. However, it's this was a hard list of of kind of balancing which games I thought were 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 quality games and which games have worked really well in my household. Right, and this one is a game that is going to probably end at seven years old. Uh, and it's my first Castle Panic. But my youngest daughter, Molly, loves this game. <laughs> she plays it. She's been asking to play it. She always asks to play it. Can we play the dungeon game? And it's like she has such a blast, um, you know, getting the monsters off the track. Basically, you've got cards uh, and you're trying to match up shapes and colors uh, you know, to if the monster is on the blue square space, you play a blue square card and you can get rid of that monster. And you're trying to 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 get all the monsters off the board before they break down the castle. My daughter always we have to find some stuffed animal or something to put behind <laughs> the wall of the castle as the queen that we are protecting. And I know full well that this has has an age cap. Yeah. But and I can't say that she learned her shapes and colors from this game. But she loves it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I, oh, dad, I can help with that, you know, and she plays her card down or I can't do anything. I need some help. Um, and we've just had a really good time as a two player experience. But, you know, and I've, we've tried playing this with the, the middle who's, who's eight. Um, and you know, it's too far below her. You sure. know, it's, there's, there's not enough going on. The good news is that Castle Panic picks up right after this and it's, if you're talking about a transition into the to the next level, you could go from my first Castle Castle Panic. There's so much good DNA that that carries over into the the Big Brother version. So. Well, and the good news for Molly, you have the Super Deluxe Wood version, yes, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. So what what characters will the Queen evolve into over time? Will it always be a stuffed animal? You think, or as Molly ages up well, here, we're gonna, if we're playing on a regular Castle Panic, we're gonna have to get a smaller Queen that's gonna fit <laughs> in that little that little castle. Oh, but, that's awesome, Doug. So that's my number five. My first Castle Panic. That's great. My number four was Game of the Week all the way back, folks, in episode 24, and that's Ticket to Ride First Journey 2016 release designed by Alan R. Moon, the Alan R. Moon, who I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot in the next few months with all the Ticket to Ride goodness yeah. that's coming out. Uh, but this this is the entry version. I've not played. There's also a Ticket to Ride First Journey Europe. I'm sticking with the U.S. because that's the version that I have. And here's how I know that there's a ceiling on it. It's on our trade shelf. Yeah. It's probably not going to be in my collection in two to three months. Because when 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 the kiddos, when we were going through our last call, and they're like, you can't give away the 2004. You can't give away your original version, but you can give away the kids' version. Yeah. That's where I was like, oh, okay. And this game has brought my family into the base game. Yeah. So I don't want to say that it solves both of those. It is a great junior game. It's a simplified version of Ticket to Ride. You're playing down cards. You're building routes. 
cartoony art of the United States that also has a really good story when you look at what how some of those um, graphic design choices were made for the cities. I, yeah. I, I learned a lot unpacking that game. So <laughs> Days of Wonder here from 2016, Ticket to Ride First Journey. All right. There's also a uh, was spooky or a ghost train version uh, oh. that just came out recently. So uh, there's another another version out there besides just the U.S. and Europe. Ghost Train. You Ghost got train. it. 2022 yep. release. Look at you and your ticket to ride knowledge never ceases to amaze <laughs> me here. Yeah. Race to collect that's tickets a, and travel by train through a spooky town. That's why I don't have room for Essen because I'm keeping track of the junior <laughs> versions of Ticket to Ride. Um, Can you name them all? There are four. <laughs> Go. The um, My number four... I hesitate. It, it belongs on the list and maybe towards the top. Um, the only reason I hesitate to put it on the list is because I think it's mistitled and could have done just as well as a different with a different title. Um, and that's Milo Leverdell, I think, um, which we talked about. I'm sure Michael's got the episode listed. Was that on? Yeah, but, that was in episode 110. Okay. I'm where not, you, you renamed it the Everdell Express, I believe. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So it's it certainly fits the bill as an Everdell Junior. Um, it has gotten my kids interested in playing the regular Everdell, um, but I think this is a quality family game that doesn't need a cap. It doesn't need to be designated as a as a kids game per se uh, that the title suggests. So I think it is a great junior game. I think it can work as that. The cool thing about that, where you're talking about, oh, well, someday I, I'm going to get rid of, uh, you know, Ticket to Ride First Journey. This is one I can see sticking around as yeah. this is a fast version of Everdell yeah. that we can we can get out and play and we don't have to mess around with all the setup and all the, the tear down, that type of stuff. So that's my number four, my little Everdell. Good one. My number three is also doesn't have a, a, a senior, big brother, big sister version yet. But it, I, I think this game does a great job of teaching the flip and write or roll and write concept, and that's Scribbly Gum by Phil Walker Harding, episode one twenty three of the Game Schooler podcast. And if you want to hear more about it, check out episode one hundred four. Our our podcast Pioneer Days is the name of that one. We were fortunate enough to get to interview uh, the Phil Walker Harding, and in Scribbly Gum, you are feeding baby moth by leading it to food in a Scribbly Gum tree. Yeah, that's a board game geek explanation. What you're really doing, you're flipping cards and then you're building these little routes on paper and it is unlocking bonuses that are so rewarding that even four, five, six, and seven-year-olds can do it. You know how I know? Because I've played with my kids (laughs) and my nieces and nephews and they're four, five, six, and seven and they love it. My seven-year-old daughter taught this game to her cousins and you know why I was upset, Doug? Because I didn't get to play. <laughs> I had to stand on the on the outside and watch these four, five, six, and seven-year-olds play it. And a table full of kids played this game this summer and had a blast. Yeah. Uh, so just a great I, I know it doesn't fit the 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 list as well because I don't think there's truly a ceiling. I mean, you could play with a bunch of adults. Um well, it certainly is a great of, junior entry into any role and right. Uh, yeah, any right. uh, like the, if you're it, even genre. some other ones of Phil Walker Harding, Silver and Gold, and other ones of that. But Welcome to not designed by Phil Walker Harding. I think that's Benoit Turpin. But another game where you're flipping cards and you're kind of building yeah. along your little city. Just a great job of showing how w- connecting unlocks a bonus. 
Yeah. Uh, so that's that's my number three is scribbly gum. Yeah, certainly also a great gateway on the idea of like if you show this to your kids and they like it, you got a lot of runway ahead of you. So yeah, and that is available from Joey Games. I just wanted to make sure that I got that on air. That's Phil Walker Harding and Meredith Walker Harding's publishing company. Uh, you could buy that online in the U.S. and in Australia. I don't know about worldwide release just yet, so our listeners over in Deutschland and Singapore, you're you're on your own for now. But uh, hopefully, you can track down a copy. All right, good one there. Um, my number three is uh, I. My family has enjoyed <laughs> the kids' version more than we enjoy the Big Brother version, and that game is Concept Kids Animals. Um, so the original concept game is is the idea of it's a somewhat cooperative, it could be a team game, in which there is a giant board with different symbols and um, you are playing cubes to represent ideas. You're trying yeah. to convey an idea to somebody. Concept Kids Animals does the same thing except with animals. And so, uh, and, and this is one where I enjoy the kids playing, the, the game is just, designed for the kids to be giving the clues and the parents to be guessing. And so to see your kids then like, Ooh, well, he likes to eat meat and he lives in the jungle and he's red, uh, you know, orange and black. He's got sharp teeth. What is it, Michael? Doug after Gen Con? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> this is a, such a bizarre concept. Um, but my kids love it. You know, it's one that always comes out. Uh, it was recently on sale on, on Amazon at a, a pretty low price. I'm like, do I need to get a new copy? Our other one's getting kind of <laughs> yeah, like, it's that's one of where the, you know it's good game. It's one of the few copies of, of games that I have that's like, it's starting to, to refresh pretty, that. Pretty ragged. <laughs> um, but my kids have really loved it. It came out in 2018 uh, by Repost Production. And it's one that I very often recommend to uh, parents with um, five to, to eight year old. Like it's a great ki- game that kids and parents can play together um, without it being mind numbing. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. I am down to two. My number two was a game of the week back in episode 39, and that's My Little Scythe. And in that episode, we had our daughters on, and it was a couple of years ago already where we just talked about that game, but it is an amazing game that could not be more different than the adult version. And at the same time, very similar yeah. mechanism wise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in my little scythe, you are the board game geek flavor text is pretty good here. Gather fruits and gems, encounter events and start friendships or pie fights, but you're moving your characters around on, um, Oh, what's, what are those tiles called? Why am I losing the name of that shape? One, two, three, Hex? four, five. Six-sided <laughs> tile. That would be a hexagon. That would be a hexagon. Thank you, Doug. And um, and you're, there's just beautiful gems, and you can initiate pie fights, or you can share resources and, and build friendships. And so definitely a, a junior game of Scythe, which is an awesome two- to three-hour area control, going to try to dominate people game. Boil down into a family-friendly version, dare I say, light hobby uh, version that my family enjoys. And, yeah. and it almost made my list last week for games I want to play more of. It was sure. an honorable mention because it, it, it's a longer game. Um, you know, it does play up to an hour, uh, but a, a good, good little game. 
And I don't know where the ceiling is on that for me. I don't think there is one, but I'm sure for for others there is. So that's my number two is my little scythe. Yeah, interesting. A game that is uh, thematically couldn't be farther apart and mechanically sharing so much connective tissue. Yeah. Um, so really cool. Uh, my number two is one that my family has enjoyed and the, the simplicity of it, I think, is why I have it so high on the list. Um, and that's my first Carcassonne. Uh, this was published in uh, 2009. It's currently available from Z-Man Games. And it um, has had a couple of different titles over the years, the Kids of Carcassonne and, and things like that. But uh, essentially, you're playing tiles out and connecting roads, and you're trying to connect pathways with your colored people on it. And when a pathway is completed, you're going to take your meeples and put them on to cover the ones that are on the pathway. And you're trying to get rid of yours first. Um, and so it brings in a lot of different elements of uh, that that tile placement of, of drawing a tile and then figuring out where on the map you should place it and where it's advantageous and, you know, trying to uh, make it so... There's this subtle tension that comes in through the game, which is if I'm working on this really long path that um, has a bunch of my people on it, my opponents are then trying to make that path harder to close off. Yeah. And they don't want to close it. You're talking about the little version does that yes. as well? Okay. Yeah. Um, it cuts off all the field stuff. There's nothing like that. It's it's literally just the road part and kind of connecting it. And like I said, you're trying to get rid of all your meeples. But there's that thing of like, oh, I'm either going to end this really quick so they can't make it bigger, or I'm going to make it really hard for them to close off. So a little bit of meanness right there. Yeah, but it comes across in a way that that works, and it's you know, you're not getting bogged down by, well, those don't exactly connect up right. It's very, yeah. uh, very approachable. Um, it's one that I got. I may have got it for free off of a, a, a trade. I went to a flea market, and it was like one of those things where it's like, I don't want this anymore. Maybe they had grown outgrown yeah. it and I picked it up. The box is dented in like a Ace Ventura delivery package. Uh, but it's a great game and, and my kids have really enjoyed it. So that's my number two, my first carcassonne. That's awesome. I didn't even know that game existed. <laughs> that, that's cool. I kind of want to play it now. That's great. My number one, Doug talked about, and that's my little Everdell. We talked about it in episode 110. It is my favorite uh, junior game. I've played it with my kiddos. I have played it solo uh, because it is a, a game that plays like one of my favorite games of all time. And and Doug hit on all the other um, really highlights of it. It was my big surprise for 2022. I had no idea this thing was coming out, and it just came out, and then it showed up at my house a few weeks later, and I've played it a lot and enjoyed it a lot. And so that's my number one is My Little Everdell. All right. Well, as I stole your thunder... You Stole Mine. My number one is Ticket to Ride First Journey, um, published in 2016. I think this is number one because I feel like it does possibly the best job of graduating. Um, and, and Michael, you even mentioned it while you were talking about it, is the idea of of graduating your your family and your younger kids to the, the base original yep. game of, of Ticket to Ride in a, a very streamlined and approachable manner. Uh, that I really appreciate that, like, okay, you get almost 90% of the game, but it's 
great for for kids that don't know how to read. You know, you don't need to be able to read to play the game. It's got fun, cute train cards, and and the 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 tokens are are bigger and chunkier, and it just has all of the elements that you would want in an inviting game to get your kid interested in gaming. And then, oh, you like this, and you're getting a little older. I have the perfect next step for you. Yeah. Um, and to be able to combine that and and have that, I don't know that. I think My Little Everdell does that well, um, and, and my first Castle Panic does it well as well. But but Ticket to Ride First Journey just does it in a way where you, the adult feels like they're playing Ticket to Ride, and it's very easy for the kid to play. Yeah. Yep. So that's my number one Ticket to Ride. Uh, I had a couple of honorable mentions: Kids Chronicles, Quest for the Moonstone. Um, certainly not one that you're you're gonna have a ten year gap before you graduate to that to Chronicles of Crime. However, yeah. um, a good version. Uh, Catan Junior is another one that I've I've enjoyed as well. While I was putting together the list, I did find more that like I wish I have tried. My fear is that I'm gonna be aged out, aged out before I can, and that's my first bonanza. My first Stone Age, Quacks of Quedlinburg, Quedlinburg Dash. That's the one I've been looking at. That's pretty clever kids. So there's uh, you know, a lot of different junior games that are out there. I've tried a smattering of them, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I guess that's the hard part is eventually you will keep may a age list out, and then right? maybe there's grandkids down the road, right? <laughs> no, I don't need to get into that <laughs> no. hypothetical of collecting. One day when I have grandkids. One day we'll play my first Stone Age. <laughs> my, for my first Stone Age legacy game. Um, how about you? Any honorable mentions? No, you mentioned them all. All right, cool. Well, that's going to do it for us. Reminder to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Follow us on X at GameSchoolerU. Join our Discord, GameSchooler.com slash Discord. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Dice Hunters of Therion gaming spaces, and we're going to be talking about games we regret getting rid of. Do you have any of those, Michael? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We truly appreciate it. Now get out there and keep gaming.